are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Pistons Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join me this week on Saturday at 2 p.m. to get in on the action. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. You can find me over on YouTube at Coos Ballroom. You can also find me at Detroit Bad Boys, writing articles about the Pistons. And today we have a special guest host of the Mavs Draft Podcast and also host of the Locked On NBA Draft. We got Richard. Uh, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. It's I'm I'm excited to be on the podcast. Thank you for coming on, man. I needed. I, I've been thinking about. I know you asked me to go on the podcast, uh, the Lockdown NBA Draft, and when the Pistons won the draft. But you know, I'm not that big of a draft guy. But I definitely ever since then I've been wanting to get you on here, and I had some free time this week, so definitely wanted to hit you up. And things ended up working out. So thank you for coming on. Yeah. No. Likewise. Likewise. I, I've been watching the Pistons all year uh, for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> for this moment. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so for everybody, on today's podcast, I think it's quite obvious what we're going to talk about. It's basically Kay Cunningham. Like, there's all kinds of, like, different avenues we're going to go here. But the, cent- the the idea of this podcast is basically it's going to be Kay Cunningham-centric, and we'll go different ways with this. So to start off, uh, Richard, just give me your overall thoughts on Kay Cunningham, the prospect. Is he really this big of a um, I know there's some people who are saying that, you know, he's not as hit, uh, of a no-brainer number one pick. There's some people who believe that he is. Uh, what, are your, what are your overall thoughts on him as a prospect? Do you believe he is that type of uh, number one guy or no? Yeah, I think he is the, like, prototypical build for number one. You know, he's 6'8". He's a pretty much a point guard. can do almost anything on the floor. He has no real flaws. Even being trapped in everything, he's still – managed that incredibly well the entire game plan started with him everyone knew what he could do and he still put up 20 points a game and shot 40 percent from three that is a perfect number one pick uh that being said i think that there's a little bit there's a little bit of uh i I don't even know the word i guess parody in this where the number one pick over the last 15 years i think it's only been like five guys that went number one are actually the best player from their class and obviously if you extend that to like 20 years, it grows because of LeBron, but it's pretty rare um, that someone who goes number one is actually the best player. So I do think he has the best combination of floor, ceiling, and just median outcome. So if you're wanting that, he's the safest number one option. He's not going to fail. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I know there has been some concerns. I've heard a little bit uh, about his athleticism. Do you think those concerns are fair? Do you think they're a little overblown? Uh, What are your thoughts about that? So he's a good athlete, especially being 6'8". He has a little bit more margin for error, I think, especially when he's guarding guys. But he doesn't blow by defenders. That's really the only athletic concern I have for him. Fair enough. So when I was in – we hosted a Spotify group room the other day, uh, and someone brought this up, and let me get your uh, opinion on this. So someone compared him athletically to how people thought Jason Tatum was coming out of the draft. Do you think that's a fair comparison or no? To an extent, I think – Cade being passed first 
it makes it a little bit difficult. That being said, though, one of the guys where people who Tatum was compared to in 2017 was Paul Pierce, and that's a guy who I listed as a pretty similar player. Paul Pierce. Okay, that's interesting. I haven't heard that one yet, uh, but that's pretty interesting. So, all right, so if the Pistons do go with Kay Cunningham, do you think – how do you think he fits into here? Uh, does he take this team to another level in the rebuild? Do you believe that this team's uh, – restoration that Troy Reaver calls it accelerates from like maybe a three to five year rebuild to possibly a two, three year rebuild, which is what I I've mentioned that on the podcast. I believe that could be the case. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah. Players like him with that archetype and with that floor and that ceiling, they accelerate the rebuild very quickly. Um, he is going to make them a threat to be in that playing game within three years, but by, by the end of the rookie contract, without a doubt, Detroit will be a threat to be in the playing game, barring health, of course. But I'd say by year three, depending on how the roster build goes, there's a very real chance that team is the nine seed or 10 seed. All right. So you mentioned earlier about the last 15 number one overall picks. I just wanted to get them out in front of me, actually, because I thought that was an interesting point. So if you don't mind, I'm going to run through these names and then I'm going to ask you a question at the end of that, if you don't mind. Yep. Uh, We're going to go with, okay, so it starts in 2005. We got Andrew Bogut. Then you got Bargnani, Greg Oden, Derrick Rose, Blake Griffin, John Wall, Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, Cat, Ben Simmons, Marco Fultz, DeAndre Aiden, Zion, and Anthony Edwards. So I know you said only about five of those become, uh, you believe only about five of those become the best ones in their draft class. So the ones I'm really looking at out of the last 15 years, the ones I'm really looking at that were just like not that great a player or never had like that high of a peak in general or anything like that. I'm looking at Bargnani. I think Bogut had a pretty decent uh, peak. I think he was pretty damn good. Right. Uh, he obviously wasn't like no superstar, but I think he was pretty damn good. Uh, we, I'm looking at Bargnani. We're looking at Greg Olden. And then I think you go, I mean, after that, I think you go one, two, three, four, five. You go five years until you hit Anthony Bennett, I believe. Uh Depending on how people think about Andrew Wiggins, I'm assuming you throw him in that category as well. Uh, and then also Marco Fultz. So outside of that, I think it looks pretty good for the first overall picks. You got uh, – so if that I named how many players? I made one, two, uh, three, four, potentially five if you include Andrew Wiggins in that and outside of that four. So I think outside four players, you get some really damn good players out of these. So um, do you think – this is a long-winded way of me saying uh, – do you think Kate Cunningham is closer to, let's say, like uh, I, I was really young for this. I actually, I don't know if he's at, he was as for sure of a number one overall pick as I remember. Uh, but do you think that Kate Cunningham is closer to like a Derrick Rose, Zion Williamson? Uh, I know Ben Simmons was really hyped up coming in, Cat type of or AD type of surefire number one overall pick. Or do you think he's more in that like the argument between Greg Oda and Katie that was going on entering the draft? You, which tier do you would you slot him in? as a prospect, not as just like a, who you think he's going to become when he gets the NBA, but just as a prospect coming into the draft. Right. Yeah. I think the best one would be like in terms of the overall draft would probably be 2008 with Derek Rose, because there was a very clear cut. Derek Rose was going number one, and then it was going to be Michael Beasley this year. It's a little bit different because there's two guys competing for that Michael Beasley slot, hopefully turning out a little bit better, but that would be Mobley and Jalen green who both of them have insane upsides, but I would say it's something like that where it's there's a clear-cut number one, and that's Cade, and then there's a really good argument for a solid number two player. 
That's fair. Uh, you mentioned actually a name just now. I don't know if you know anything about him. You just piqued my curiosity. I've always wondered this. I don't know if you would know. Uh, so did do you did you know anything about Michael Beasley coming into the draft, or do you know anything like looking back on it? So he's one of the guys I should have done more research on as the years passed. I don't remember a ton of him as a prospect. I think it's just all the other seeing more players has kind of erased that memory. Uh, also, because I really did like Michael Beasley, I think it's just made me forget that I was wrong. So <laughs> I actually don't really remember exactly what held him back in terms of being a prospect, what the flaws were and everything like that. Fair enough, because Michael Beasley is one of those guys that I've always really liked. Uh, I always thought, I mean, it, it's just one of those things that I've been curious about because maybe this is like an ignorant opinion coming from outside and someone who like didn't watch him every year, every game, whatever. So maybe this is just ignorant from outside. But for me, from, from afar, he was one of those guys that you, I absolutely just enjoyed watching. He seemed like a guy that was just supremely skilled offensively. So every time I think about him and people talk about him as a bust, it's like, well, yeah, I guess he's a bust. But then also it's like, damn, how is he a bust? Because he – Nope. At least for me, he was just so insanely skilled offensively. And he could, I remember when he came back and played, I think it was for the Bucks, like the last two months of a season, I think it was like four years ago. He comes in, he just scores like three points a minute. Like he just, he's like instant bucket. So I like, it's never made sense to me how he just never worked out. Uh, but yeah, that was the little rant that I decided to go on. <laughs> My fault. Uh, <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk more about Kate Cunningham. This time we're going to talk about some of these reports going around. Obviously, what I've told you guys that. I can't stand the speculation going on, but we'll ask Richard if there's any truth to these. Does he believe it's as, it, it makes sense to have uh, some arguments between Kay Cunningham, Jalen Green, etc.? We'll get into all of that, but first, let me tell you guys about one of our sponsors, Spotify Greenroom. Spotify Greenroom is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. This app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team and sport. Spotify Greenroom is the best, play, best place to engage in conversation and debate about whatever sports subject you're thinking about. Like I tell you guys all the time, I'm always in there on Mondays and Thursdays with Duncan Smith talking about the Pistons, the NBA Finals, anything going on in the NBA. We have a lot of fun in there. Uh, make sure you guys join those rooms. That's always a lot of fun. Then also, I host a Lockdown Pistons room on Saturday at 2 p.m. Make sure you guys join in that. It's always a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun conversations. We make some friends there. I've made some friends in there. Uh, it's, always, it's a really good experience. So, Go download the free Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices and also your Android. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. I know you will find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues. I can't wait to join you all in the app. I'll be sure to let you know once Lockdown Pistons Room is live. Download the Spotify Green Room app today. Green Room, changing the way we talk about sports. All right, so Richard, we're going to talk about some of these speculations going on. I'm sure there's no way you haven't heard about it. It's been going nonstop since the Pistons won the first overall pick in the NBA lottery. This whole this whole rumor that the Pistons are completely obsessed with Jalen Green. And we have someone over at Locked On, one of our own, who reported today. His name's Evan Damrell. I believe he's the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast. He says, or he tweeted today, according to sources, the Detroit Pistons are enamored with prospect Jalen Green while the Rock- Houston Rockets are keen on Oklahoma State star Cade Cunningham. Trade discussions are ongoing, but it feels like those two players are all but locked at the top of the 2021 NBA draft. So in case you didn't know, I reported like I believe a two and a half weeks ago or maybe two weeks ago that according to my sources that Cade Cunningham was the overwhelming favorite at that time and barring a godfather offer that he would, he would be the selection by the Detroit Pistons. Um, I still am sticking to that. Uh, but there, that doesn't stop the speculation in the news cycle. You know, you got to get your 
got to get some news going. You got like all these other places that got to find things to talk about. Uh, so obviously the speculation is going to keep going. Uh, do you believe that there's a legit argument for why the Pistons would rather take Jalen Green than Kate Cunningham? Do you, do you see the, the logic behind that? Or do you think if, a t- if the Pistons were to do something like that, it would be one of those like smack your head moments like, oh my God, you just messed up. <laughs> Well, I think the only time we can look back and that something is comparable to this, to this, it has kind of worked out, but we also don't know what special circumstance is going to surround that to be the case because I think this is a very special time, which was 2017 with Markel Fultz, you know, the ATV accident theory and everything like that. Who knows? Cade Cunningham, I don't think he plans on going on any ATVs anytime soon, so maybe that won't happen. Uh, you know, the rumor is that he had a, Markel Fultz had a crash and uh, that's why, you know, his shoulder and everything like that, but Jason Tatum has worked out and they, you know, Boston wanted their guy. That was Jason Tatum. That's the only thing that would give this precedence personally. If it was up to me, if I had Detroit, if I was the GM of Detroit and had full control over this, I would not do it. Like, especially with Houston, that just seems weird to me considering their lack of future assets, uh, being where they are. It's very odd, but you know, if you want Jalen green, you can probably just get him at two or three. I wouldn't. I would want something on top of that. He does have probably the highest ceiling in the class, so it could be worth it. Okay, so that's actually something I wanted to ask you about as well. So what what is it about Jalen Green that a lot of these people like? Uh, I, I heard you just now mention that he has the highest ceiling possibly of anyone in the draft. Um, now, I, actually, I just spent last podcast talking about ceilings versus floors. And uh, before you answer, I just want to say to everybody again, like I said last one, at least in my opinion, it's much more likely that a player bust than it is for them to hit their ceiling. It's hitting their ceiling is incredibly hard, in my opinion. But is is the whole thing with Jalen Green just that? Is it just that he seems to have the highest ceiling simply because of, like, athletically, because he's just so freakish of an athlete? Or is there a- other things that make like him such an enticing prospect? Yeah, so it starts with the athleticism. He is the best athlete in the class. He also can shoot, has that three-level scoring upside, and is an unbelievable finisher through contact. Probably one of the very best finishers in the class, and he's still pretty skinny, so that gives a lot of hope. But when you get an athletic three-level score, the that's one of the highest-level upside prospects you can have. But I like what you said, though, because I do have concerns about his floor. That's why I'm a little bit lower on him than than most people because the ceiling is number one. I have him as the number one ceiling in the class. I just don't know how realistic it is because can he, you know, create his own shot at a high level? Can he get to the rim, use his athleticism through his ball handling? That's, that's the key. And using that elite athleticism, if he can't do it, what's he do then? Because like you said, it's almost better to err on the side of like negativity in the draft than positivity because most guys end up more negative to their draft position. So, Uh, let me know if you disagree, but in my opinion, I've had a few people on the podcast as well uh, that seem to agree. Let me know what you think. But in my opinion, I don't think the Pistons are in a spot where they can like pass up on a guy like Cade who, uh, and also I'd like to hear you talk about this as well, or or mention this real quick, but I've had people on who don't believe, like they believe that Jalen Green obviously has such a high ceiling, but they're not convinced that Cade Cunningham doesn't just also have like that insanely high ceiling as well. So, to add on to the fact that there's some that believe that Kay Cunningham also has this insanely high ceiling, and he also seems to have an insanely high floor to be a really good player, uh, I don't think the Pistons are in a position where they can pass on that for a guy who may just be, like, who could, who has a lower floor to and a higher chance of just busting. 
Uh, I, I don't think the Pistons are in a position to do that. Do you think? Do you agree with that statement, or do you think uh, when you have a chance at that, you always take a swing? Or because in my opinion, I think teams who are capable of making swings like that um, to where like they're swinging on, on ceiling and that's it are teams like I don't know. I, I guess you go back a few drafts with like MPJ, who when he fell to Denver, like Denver is in a position like if he busts, okay, we're still going to be good, but like we can take a swing on this kind of guy. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying Jalen Green falls like the teams or anything, but that's just like an example. I don't think the Pistons are in that scenario where they can take a chance on something like that. Do you agree or do you disagree? No, I, I think I agree. Just because it's so early in the rebuild that you can't really get cute with it. And like you said, only certain teams can do it. That's why Boston, when they got gifted the number one pick, that's why it worked for them. They didn't have to, like, what did they care if they, you know, got the number three or number one? They were a playoff team, weren't they? Like, that's a team where you know, you have the luxury to do it. You don't do it in stage one or stage two of the rebuild. You do that at the very end. So I, I think when you got Cade Cunningham, you know, some people, like you said, there are people who think he doesn't have the crazy high ceiling. Look at Luka Doncic, who some people said the same thing about him. His first year, it wouldn't shock me if Cade does this on a little bit lower volume, but like notch it down, you know, take the points down three or so, take the assist down one or two, and then rebounds keep the same. But Luka as a rookie averaged 21, six and eight. Like that's, that's absurd. Just because he was that good and he's so similar to Cade Cunningham, like that's probably the best comparison. I don't really think that it's a stretch to say by, you know, halfway through his second year, at the very worst, he's going to be having that impact. And Luca was a borderline all-star as a rookie. I, I just think it's almost overthinking at that point. Okay. I, I love that last point you made because I completely agree that I just feel like it's overthinking at that point. I've made the point on the podcast as well multiple times that while we all love Troy Weaver and that he's made like some incredible moves throughout his first 12 months as the Pistons GM, and he hasn't really missed yet, no one bats 100 forever. And um, he, there's a concern of mine that if, if there was a singular concern that I could point to, I don't have this concern, but if this was like to happen and this was like reported to happen like years later, down the line, it wouldn't shock me at all to hear it. Is that Toriver tries to be like the smartest guy in the room and tries to overthink it and then tries to like do something cute, like you said, and tries to be like, hey, you guys think this guy, I'm gonna go this way and zigzag this way just because I know I can do this and watch what I can do. I feel like that's the kind of dude that he could possibly be, and that could be something that gets him in trouble eventually. I don't think it happens here. I do believe they kick K Cunningham. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility. Uh, if the, if you're looking at any kind of negatives, that, that is something I could see happening at some point in his career as a GM. But real quick, last question I wanted to ask you about Cade versus Jalen Green. Um, is, is the only thing with Jalen Green versus Cade, is it simply athleticism? Is there anything else that, that Jalen Green projects or either one better at right now or two projects to be better at? Is it legit only athleticism that has him uh, has people talking about him over Cade possibly? I think it starts with athleticism. I think it's minor things that like relate to it, such as finishing and the way he cuts off ball. He has lethal fakes off ball, things like that, just the way he moves off ball. But overall, everything stems to that athleticism. It's just kind of which way it branches out. All right. And then lastly, I, you mentioned this earlier. I just want to make sure I, I uh, word you correctly, quote you correctly. Uh, so it, you think Kate is a good athlete, just not a great one? Yes. Yeah, he's still a very good athlete. Okay, see, this is like something that we got into an argument about on Spotify Green Room, and and there's been this big argument in Pistons Twitter about this too, about those who like Jalen Green. They're like, everyone keeps saying that he's a bad athlete, and I I don't understand that. I feel like people go too much. There's always like, I feel like on Twitter, especially in fan bases, 
it's always like the two extremes. Like the, people forget that there's like a middle ground and, and it's a big middle ground between someone being extremely athletic and just not athletic at all. And there's this big space in the middle. And I believe that Kate's somewhere in the middle like that. And I don't think he's closer to the end. I think he's closer to the, uh, the higher side, but just in the middle somewhere. And that's fine. Uh, I just don't believe that he's this bad athlete that people say he is. And so it was nice to hear you say that. Cause I've been, I wanted to hear someone outside Detroit who's not just trying to be positive about Detroit. Oh yeah, we're going to get a superstar. I wanted to get like someone else's thoughts. So it was nice to hear you say that. Um, but all right, so when we come back, I, there's one more question I want to ask Richard about Jalen Green. We'll talk about that, but then we'll continue on with the Kate Cunningham thing. Uh, but when we, before we get to that, let me tell you guys about your guys' favorite sponsor, Built Bar. The best tasting protein bar on the planet Earth comes with a variety of flavors, including six new flavors in caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. All flavors are covered in incredible tasting chocolate and are soft and easy on the teeth to chew. These bars are low in calorie and sugar, but high in protein and fiber. A flavor I suggest is the peanut butter flavor, packed with 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams net carbs. So go try the Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. And then let me tell you about another one of our sponsors, BetOnline AG. Betting is now legal in Michigan, and if you're anything like me, you want to take advantage of that instantly. However, there's one problem I constantly ran into. There's just so many different apps to bet through. Which betting app is the best to use? Which one is the best for me? That's why I found BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL season might be over, but the NBA and MLB are still in full swing. If you want to take your adventure beyond sports, however, BetOnline even has you covered there too. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, things I didn't even know you could bet on. BetOnline has real-time updated odds and props on just about anything you can imagine. BetOnline is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to BetOnline now to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, and make sure you use promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So, Richard, real quick, I guess I I feel like I have to do this, even though I don't really want to do this. I don't really – my listeners know I hate engaging this. I really don't want to have to do this, but, you know, 16 days to go, I believe, to the draft, 15 days to go, and I, the speculation is not going to stop, so I have to do it. If Jalen Green were to be selected by the Pistons, God, that, that feels so bad coming out my mouth. Uh, <laughs> if the Pistons do select Jalen Green, how does he project into the, the Pistons' core, in your opinion? Uh, does he – does he help accelerate the the, the re, uh, restoration that Troy Weaver caused it, or is he is this are we still looking at kind of a three to five year restoration? Yeah, so I don't think his impact is as immediate as Cade Cunningham, but he might be better by year two or three. Is the whole thing again with the ceiling? Uh, he is just ridiculously high ceiling, and and I think the athleticism fits in well next to Killian. You let him run you know, a bunch of off ball sets for kill, like through Killian, I guess for Jalen green. Like I said, Jalen green's outstanding off ball and really good cutter. Killian Hayes would be an outstanding backcourt partner with him and they make each other better. That almost might be a better, you know, pairing than Cade. I still think that's not a non-issue for Cade Cunningham, but I think that's something where you look at how well Jalen green plays on ball and then you put him off ball with Killian Hayes and they fit perfectly. Actually, thank you for bringing up Killian Hayes. I guess I'll ask you about him. Uh, did you do draft stuff on Killian Hayes at all last year? Yeah, I had him number four on my board. Okay, okay. So, did you watch him at all this year during his rookie year? Yeah, it, it wasn't. It was hard though because of the injuries and everything, but I did. Okay, what were your overall thoughts about him coming coming out of his rookie year? And are you still 
Actually, you know what? Let me make this a two-part question. What are your thoughts about his rookie year coming out of it? And also, is Killian Hayes – I've made this point before. It's a joke. Let me just make sure everyone understands. Let me say it again. It's a joke. But I said before the Pistons won the number one overall pick that if they do get their one overall pick, I'd pack Killian's bags for him if it's that big of an issue to send him back to where he came from and get, get Kate Cunningham. That's that's why I said. Basically, that Killian Hayes is not worth or not, in my opinion – someone who stops you from getting Kate Cunningham. Like, it, I think their fit is going to be fine. I think they can fit together. I, I'm not worried about it. But if you are worried about it, that's something where you're like, okay, we draft Cade and, Cade and trade Killian, in my opinion. Like, he's not someone that stops you from taking Cade. Um, but what are your thoughts about Killian Hayes coming out of his rookie season? And do you believe that Killian and Cade can fit together and make it work? Yeah, so I'll just start with the Killian and Cade. That's a no-brainer. Yes, they can. Now, the only thing, though... Um, that worries me with Killian is he has to take a jump next season because what I'm about to say is very unfair to him. And I fully know this. So it's full disclosure, but he was outright bad this year. I pulled up his synergy profile for pick and roll ball handler, fifth percentile spot up. That was his best at 29th percentile transition. He was in the first percentile isolation, six handoff, 19, everything else didn't qualify. Like he was outright bad. And I knew he would be not a good player year one. And most rookies are negative. So it's like not a big deal. And it helped the agenda. I don't take read much into it. I don't think it's a big deal, but you do need to see the jump. And I think that having Cade or even Green, one of them really forces Killian's timeline to be accelerated. Like he has to get good quick. And in order to do that, that's going to be what the difference maker is in terms of how he fits with Cade or or Jalen Green. So um, I believe we're talking about Killian Hayes' rookie season. Uh, yes, he he was bad. He he was out. He was bad. I, and like you mentioned, I believe a lot of rookies are basically bad their first season. Some of them show more uh, to like than others, uh, but a lot of them are usually bad. And Cade, uh, not Cade, Killian was bad his rookie year. Uh, he looked better when he came back from injury. It was actually really good to see. I thought he would look worse coming off an injury uh, that he had to sustain, but he actually looked better coming back from injury. And I've said multiple times in this podcast, uh, I don't know if you've watched a, a, enough of him to comment on it, so I'm not going to make you, but if you want to, you can after I say this. Um, one of the things I really liked about Killian, let me just say this. In February, I was pretty low on Killian. I was, I understand it was only a few games, but I was getting worried. Like, I was trying to be fair about it. Like, I knew he was a small amount of games before he got hurt, but then I also was like, man, that was not a good first nine games to have or first seven games to have. That was really bad. So I wasn't as high on him then. I completely have done a 180 on him since then. And ever since I watched him finish the season and watched film on him since, one of the things that, that makes me really confident in Killian moving, becoming a really, really good player. Like I'm borderline. I believe he could become a great player. Like that's how high I've become on Killian. And it's that I don't think he lacks the ability to create space for himself and create open shots for himself. I think he has a really good handle and creative handle. And I like a, what's the word for it? Um, it, it, I, me, when I hoop with my boys and go play pickup, a lot of people call it different things. A lot of people call it yin yang. A lot of people call it like a, a yanking type of uh, handle. I don't know, really know how to explain it, but like he's capable of like, what's the, yanking dudes around, I guess is the best way to say. It. He's capable of like playing with dudes with his handle. And the thing that I saw from his rookie season, in my opinion, um, is that he created a lot of these looks for himself. He'd create for himself an edge and he just wouldn't take advantage of it. A lot of times he'd like create an opportunity for him to explode and, and beat a guy off the dribble after catching him with a good crossover or behind the back. But instead of taking advantage of it, he just like stay still and wouldn't like I don't know if that was confidence or like or or his he didn't know he didn't think he could do it or he didn't even realize he created this advantage. And then also 
He creates a lot of room on some jumpers as well. He just wasn't making them. Uh, but for me, I feel like that that right there is the harder part. Being able to improve the jump shot, I think he can do. But being able to create those that space and that out, the open uh, lanes for you to do it, that's the harder part. I think he actually showed that he's going to be good at that. I don't know if you saw enough to comment on that. If you did, you can go ahead. But Yeah, I, I saw a little bit of that. Actually, I thought you were going to go a different direction. Um, I do like how he has the ball on a string. And like you said, he creates this, the looks. But it's a matter of making and missing. And I don't know, as a rookie, it's kind of unfair to be so judgmental on makes or misses, I think, just because most guys are just so inconsistent as shooters anyway. The one area that really stood out to me, and this is a game versus Cleveland, and I remember it was probably the longest NBA game of the year, but he hit back-to-back pull-up jumpers, and then he came in, put his defender in jail, and had Jared Allen just stuck in the pick-and-roll and lopped it to Isaiah Stewart. And Plays like that, that's what I really like to see in the upside because he can use his pull-up game to his advantage as a passer, as a scorer, just about every way. That's the stuff you want to look for, and I think that's a big sign of promise. Like After he came back in April, he looked like a way better than he was in the first, like what was it, seven games or something before he got hurt? Yeah. So, so all of you listeners, you heard him say the Cavs game. Now, Richard, the Cavs game is something I've mentioned so many times on this podcast and I've, I've broken down so many different plays from Killian in that game. Uh, one of the things, you mentioned it, it those pull-up jumpers, was something I feel like that needs to be talked about even more in that game. Um, I don't know if you noticed it when you were watching. I advise of you to go back and look at it as well if you didn't notice this guy. This is the part that impressed me the most. Yes, he was aggressive. Yes, he hit these jump shots, these pull-ups. But one of the things that really impressed me was that the Pistons were running this pick-and-roll at the top of the key rolling to Killian's left with Isaiah Stewart, and they were putting Josh Jackson on Killian's left side, and the defender, every time they ran this pick and roll, was literally just in the paint and doubling down on Killian um, to, to like, try to stop the drive. And it was really frustrating because after, like, the first few times, Killian would kick out to Josh, and Josh was went either one missed the shot or two turned the ball over, making a bad decision. And you could see after that, Killian was just like, man, I, I'm not, I can't keep giving him the ball. I got to try to do something myself. And the first time, it was tough. He tried splitting a trap and wasn't able to, so he eventually was forced to kick it to Josh, and Josh missed it. But then after that, there was two straight plays. I believe one of them ended with the alley-oop, and the other one ended with the pull-up. Um, there was two other plays right after that where he like saw the trap coming, he got the dude in jail, like you said, and then he threw the ball ahead of himself to like get through the trap. And that's one of my – just by the way, that's one of my favorite like aesthetically, aesthetically pleasing plays to see like a guy when he throws it ahead of himself to like beat defenders. That's, I love seeing that anyways. Uh, he throws it ahead of himself, beats the trap, keeps the guy in jail. I believe then that's the one you're talking about when he throws it up to Isaiah Stewart. Him reading that help and knowing that help is coming, that's something that I really like to see because it shows me that he's processing and knowing what's coming, and he's able to adjust, adjust to what defenses are doing mid-game, not after games, and looking at like film afterwards, like, okay, this is what happened. I need to do this better next game. Like This is a matter of pos- like two, three possessions where he's like, okay, I've seen them do this already. I know what's coming. I can process this. I can read this. How am I going to counter it? And he did that. So that's that was my biggest takeaway from that game. And that's definitely one of the games that make me really high on Killian. Yeah, I mean, that's a textbook example of, like, he had flashes for what you can see in the future coming. Absolutely. So I guess we can end this off with, Richard, do you believe the Pistons are drafting Kay Cunningham? If you had to bet your money on it, are they, are they drafting Kay Cunningham? I think they are. Honestly, my whole take on it is uh, that they're just trying to see what they can get and drive up some com- uh, some competitors, maybe Oklahoma City, you know, maybe Cleveland because they have a lot to offer. That's my guess. See what they can see if they can drive the 
price to where they want, which is ridiculously high and rightfully so. That's my whole take. I think they'll keep it, but try and drive the trade market. Do you do you see any kind of trade offer? Because obviously that's why I also believe it's happening. I think they're going to take Cade, but I think they're also saying, well, you know, if we can just get like a like a deal that's just so obliviously bad for the other team, but just is amazing for us, then we have to take it. Um, the thing is, I don't see that trade out there. I don't see like where that trade's coming from. I don't see the assets from a team that could do it. Uh, Houston's the one being rumored right now that really wants Cade and could try to do it. Do you even see like an offer that would that makes it like worth the Pistons a while or if they wanted to do it? Do you see that being possible with Houston? I mean, Oklahoma City does have a lot of assets. I'll, I'll leave it at that. They have a lot of assets. If you wanted the Godfather package, it starts and ends with them. Maybe New Orleans. Fair enough. Fair enough. So my thing is, though, my thing, my concern with OKC is that if they had like two or three, then maybe I could see it possibly happening. But right. with six, like, so like the reason why I say that is because it's like, let's say OKC had two or something, they wanted Cade, then the Pistons could trade back, get a, a, a boatload of assets, which um, I, I'm not, I'm not as well versed. I know they have a ton of assets, obviously, but I'm not as well versed about what these assets are like. Are they actually good assets? Are they actually good picks? Uh, or are they going to be like mid-team picks? I don't, I, I don't know about them. But either way, I know that they could trade back to two, get Jalen Green, who they also seem to really like, and then also get a boatload of assets. In this hypothetical, I'm assuming they'd be falling back to six, I think it is, that OKC yep. has. And they wouldn't be able to get Cade or Jalen Green, which I believe when you get gifted the number one overall pick, and the Pistons, by the way, if you, in case you didn't know, Pistons haven't had the number one overall pick since 19. It has been 50 years, and they've never moved up once with their own draft pick in the lottery. So for all this to happen this year, I you don't understand how furious I'll be if, if they finally get this luck and then they decide, you know what, we don't really need it. And just like say, screw it. We don't need a number one over our pick. I would be so mad. But I, I don't know. I do agree Houston uh, – not Houston. OKC has a lot of assets. I just don't think it's possible because they have the sixth overall pick. So I, for me, I don't see where this trade's coming from. Um, I just don't see – I don't think Houston has the requisite assets to make it happen. And then for what it's worth as well, I also think Houston's – cool enough with Jalen Green to where they're not going to just like make the uneven godfather like trade that's going to screw them eventually in the future when they like Jalen Green just as like not just as much but pretty damn good as well so I just don't think it's happening I think it's just a bunch of speculation I think Cade eventually will be the piston yeah I mean I I agree if you get that number one pick you probably don't want to move beyond four is probably the worst case scenario and I don't my whole thing is again maybe Cleveland can offer stuff because they have that log jam at guard but I mean, Houston's offer just doesn't do it. Like, maybe they, they won't include Kevin Porter Jr. That'd be the only way you do it. Yep, there you go. So, all right, before we end the podcast, last thing for me, Richard, I'll get you, what is the number one, actually not number one, Who, if you had to pick one prospect, not named uh, Kate Cunningham or Jalen Green, if you want to go, like, kind of really, really undercover and just, like, really, like, uh, random here, you can. You don't have to. Uh, but if you had to pick one prospect outside of those two that you would put your money on becoming a star that you really, really like, who is it? Man, I, it's a da- that's a dangerous question because <laughs> the issue for me is like there's a point where you watch too much and then you're just like, wow, what can this guy just not do? Or you go the opposite end and you're like, oh, what can this guy even do anymore? And I want to stay at the top. I'm going to go – I'm going to get roasted if I – I'm going to – you know what? I've already started the sentence. I'm going to get roasted for this. I have a 4A, 4B, and 4C. That is, I have tiers. The top three are all on an island of their own in tiers. I have Cade Cunningham, 
Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs are my top three. I know it's probably a surprise to you that I don't have Jalen Green. Um, I actually have him currently as the last of the six players uh, that I'll be naming, but Kaminga's there. And then I have James Book Knight. James Book Knight is like an absolute bucket. I have him fifth overall just because I think he, he's going to be a strong candidate for rookie of the year. Comes in, probably gets almost 20 points a game. I'm all in on the kid. One of the best, probably the best offensive upside for anyone not named Cade or Jalen Green. Could even be in the mix. Fair enough. Book Knight is someone that the Pistons were rumored to be really interested in as well. Someone before they won the overall pick, the first overall pick, it was rumored that Troy Weaver really liked Book Knight. So that's not the first time I've heard his name. Uh, that is, there is something. I know I said I want to end the package with there, but you just said something. I know you. I know you know where I'm going to go here. Uh, it did interest me just now that you said that you have Jalen Green. Uh, you said six out of the top six. You have him, so you have like tiers, but you had him as the sixth one out of all of them, correct? Yeah, he's on the fourth tier, which is again one, two, and three are their own tier. And then you could put in any order. I wouldn't be mad. Kaminga, Book Knight, and Green. I just I listed at that point, and honestly, I've second guessed it so much. Where I think if I I'm not changing my board, I'm just sticking with it uh, because I do think six is still a very good outcome in deep draft. Where I have Jalen Green. But again, like just to clarify, I don't even think I actually said this, but his ball handling worries me. I think it limits his athleticism. Could be wrong. I'm, I mean, his ceiling is number one in the class, though. All right. So one of the things I had Hal, uh, he's the host of the Busted Header podcast. I don't know if you've ever interacted with him. Um, I had him on here. He does a lot of draft stuff. And he said his concern uh, with Jalen Green. And I've talked to other people that have also said something along these lines, is that he has a high ceiling, but he said – I believe the name. I actually know. I don't want to put complete words in his mouth, um, but I, I'm gonna go. Actually, you know what, Hal? If you listen, I'm sorry. If I said this wrong, let me know. It might not have even been you, so it is what it is. Uh, let me know. But it's likely that he could, like, he could have a high ceiling, could re- hit it, but it's more likely he becomes like a J.R. Smith type. What, what do you think about a statement like that? That's not the first time I've heard that. Um, I think that's a very underrated men like outlook of it. I think people are jumping the gun. In looking at what his upside is, he has a lot to put together before everything clicks. And um, it wouldn't shock me, I think, if you put a good head on J.R. Smith's body. Like, if you just made him a little bit, you know, like we saw the 2018 finals or 2017, whatever <laughs> it was. If you didn't, if you took away that from his game, that's what Jalen Green would be. That's a very fair outcome. Fair enough. All right. So. I guess that's it. Unless is there anything else you want to hit on? Or something you want to say, random or wild on this podcast to, help, uh, to get a, a, a rise out of Pistons fans? You can go ahead and say that now if you want. <laughs> I'll give you your chance. <laughs> hey, I I grew up as a uh, as a Magic fan first, Mavs second, pretty much. The Pistons ruined my childhood, man. Every time they faced each other in the playoffs in the two thousand, so I I don't know how I'm here praising Detroit. It's weird for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I remember watching that Orlando Mavericks, uh, not Mavericks, Orlando Magic series <laughs> as a kid when uh, I believe it was the first time Dwight went against them in the playoffs. Yep. Uh, I remember yep. that watching oh, that series. But uh, Nightmare fuel. Hey, man, I'm, so, I'm sorry about it. Uh, <laughs> there is actually, you know what? I, I keep saying this. There's, this can be a quick answer. I keep forgetting to ask, ask you this. I've been mean to ask you this last 10 minutes. What's your overall quick thought on the Pistons restoration so far? That Troy recalls it. Do you like their core? Do you think they're headed in the right direction? What's your quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely headed in the right direction. The only thing that still doesn't make sense to me is the Bruce Brown trade, but it was so minor, it doesn't really matter. Thank you. Thank. Okay, so you guys, there's another person that I've had on the podcast now from outside <laughs> Detroit that agrees with me that this Bruce Brown trade it was just bad. 
shouldn't have happened, and that Bruce Brown's a good player. I, Richard, I'm one of the biggest Bruce Brown guys out there. I, I, I rode so hard for him his, uh, his second year in the league after his improvements, and that trade still haunts me to this day. But thank you for – I just want to say thank you for, for joining me and, and giving me a, a backing here with that. Uh, and no, guys, I did not tell him to say that before the podcast. That's He said that himself. <laughs> I, that is not me forcing him to say that. But thank you, Richard, for coming on, man. Let them know where they can find you again. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, at Draft. It's where 99% of anything I do comes from. And then I'm also on Locked On NBA Draft. I do the Tuesday show, so I think it's two more before the draft. All right, make sure you guys go check that out. Go check them out on that podcast. Go follow them on Twitter. Thank you, Rich, for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you guys for listening today. I'll catch you guys in the next podcast. I'll catch you guys on Thursday. We got a few more guests coming up. I hope you guys enjoy it. But thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys have a great day. Peace out, everybody.